0: Croeso, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveria Recovery website, www.adveria.org.uk. And wwwlivingroom dash cardiff dot com Dichenvaur, thank you so much.
1: You can get it!
2: See that Welcome to Recovery Now Radio. Mm-hmm. Let's recover together.
3: You. Persecution, you must be. Win and lose, you've got to get your share. Got your
4: mind set on a dream. You can get it, don't it
1: by
2: saying now. Can Recovery Now Radio coming more. to you from the living room and at Berriad. Welcome to Recovery Now Radio, coming to you from the living room and Adveriad. My name is Joe, and our guest today is Owen. Welcome, Owen. How are you?
5: I'm fine, Joe. How are you?
2: I'm good. It's quite warm today, even though it's raining, isn't it? It's
5: quite muggy. Yeah.
2: Um, well, you've come in today, Owen, to talk to us about a family member of yours and, well, really how it's affected you rather than your family member, but your family member's um, problems with addictions, really, and alcoholism. But before we talk about that, I'd like to play your first song, which is High Voltage by ACDC. So, did you choose this for a particular reason?
5: Yeah, it's just good rock and roll, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to sort of follow them a bit. They were a sort of. Um, very influential for me really it was just what I liked, it's the sort of music I sort of liked at that time yeah. uh, it was just straight rock and roll and ACDC were the best at it really
2: yeah the best at the time yeah
5: yeah I saw them a couple of times in Bristol I still picture it now like you know what I mean, so it had a huge effect on me even though it's just there's not much to it, There's three chords and drums and a singer basically mm. but I love it
2: yeah they're quite iconic so let's have a listen are listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was high voltage by acdc so owen before we um get into um the reason why you're here i'd like to know a little bit about you if that's okay could you tell us a little bit about your background maybe your upbringing
5: um that's about the best part of my um childhood my teenage years in uh dennis powys which is sort of five miles outside cardiff on the way to barry um i live there in um uh, with my mother and my brother who were a single parent family. My father left when I was 2 and um, we never saw him again. And I think that had a huge that had a big bearing on the, you know the family dynamics and also how myself and my brother saw ourselves really individually and as a pair in. And I'm very still very very close to my brother. We used to argue and stuff before when we were in school but after when we left school we just got on very very well. We had the same sort of taste in music. We had the same sort of politics. We had the same. Uh, we both like sport. Uh, we had the same sort of sense of humour. So we've, you know, we sort of uh, joined at the hip in effect. We don't, I don't see him as often as I'd like to. But I still have a very big bond with him. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother died about thirty years ago now. She died very suddenly with an asthma attack, and that had a, obviously had a, um, a big bearing on myself and my brother. Mm. That was my background, really. Um, like most people's childhood, it, it was, there was the good stuff and there's the not so good stuff. I mean, I was very fortunate in, in the mother that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, she made mistakes and all the rest of it, like everyone does, but I know. She, I mean, I could only appreciate what she's done for me since I've um, had to uh, bring up my own children. Yeah. Uh, and looking back on it, at the, the, the effort she put into myself and my brother, um, I think was quite phenomenal. Uh, my one regret is I never had the chance to say thank you, really. But there we are these these things happen
2: could you tell us a little bit about your family life as it stands like how did you meet julie and
5: i met julie at my brother's wedding funny enough he was marrying julie's friend um, and we met there and the rest is history if you like so we've been together for about i don't know we i think it's about 24 25 years something like that she had four children with a, a previous you know a previous husband and so I sort of was a stepfather, and I've got four stepchildren, yeah. and that had uh, you know the usual ups and downs and stuff like yeah. you know I mean, so about the the four kids because they were young. The, the eldest was five at the time, and the youngest was I think about eighteen months. And all of them they they welcomed me into the home without any questions. I'm sure there was repercussions because of you know their parents were divorced and stuff, and that has that has it. But f- with me, they were brilliant. They they welcomed me in and they accepted me as a stepfather, really.
2: Yeah. Well, they were so young at the time, well, weren't they? Well, they were, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's play your next track, which is May You Never by John Martin. Is this just a, a good song for you or does it have any meaning behind it?
5: I just, again, all these tracks, all these songs I've picked, they are songs I just, the start of, I just like the sound of them. And I, um, but this one is, a, is a, a song about, I think he's, he's um, singing to a friend of his and this is what he wants for him. You know, right. He wants a sort of calm, comfortable life if you like yeah. i think it's it's just a beautiful song really excellent <laughs>
6: Ah uh-huh. 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 song
2: You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And that was "May You Never" by John Martin. Um, Owen, when did you uh, notice that things were changing at home with regards to your family life and Julie's addictions?
5: It's quite a difficult question really, because it was quite a long time ago now. But being with Julie, it, 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 certainly initially it was quite exciting. There was, you know, we were going out a lot. We were, you know, was drinking, drinking involved, which I quite, I you know, I liked to. To go out and drink and stuff, um, and it was exciting. Um, but then I think about a year in, I stopped socializing with Julie. I'd go out on my own with her, and that's like for meals or to the cinema or mm. theatre whatever it was. But I didn't go out socializing, drinking out, you know, with, in, to pubs with a group of people because it was always it was always pandemonium, and it was it would always end in tears, and um, I couldn't cope with that, so I just never went. Uh, the flip side of that is that my problem was it be, when Julie was drinking. I felt that she was she would in town in you know, if she was in the centre of town drinking, that she was very, very vulnerable because mm. she would she would drink to a, you know, to blackout I suppose. Um, which would make her very, very vulnerable. And that frightened me. So I lost an awful lot of sleep. I would wait, you know, if I'd work even if I worked the next morning, which I'd you know, i have to be up at, you know, sort of quarter past six in the morning, I'd be up at two, three o'clock in the morning looking out the window, waiting for it to come back and stuff. And the relief I felt when I heard the door go and she was back in and that she was OK. I mean, she was drunk, but she was OK. That would, that, that was OK then. So then because Julie was a binge drinker, so that would subside then. And that We'd tick along quite all right until the next time, you know, Julie would organize a, um, a night out. And then I could feel the anticipation or the anxiety, not anticipation, the anxiety building up with me if she was going out on the Saturday night, from about Wednesday, I could start to feel a bit of a knot in the stomach. I could start to feel butterflies coming. And then Thursday would get a bit more, Friday would mm. be quite, and then Saturday I would be, I would do things like, I would go very, very quiet. And I would sort of, I suppose you call it sulk. I don't know if, it's, if that's the right word, but it's sort of sulk. Because I knew that if I started talking, or if I expressed myself, I would end up shouting, which I did a lot, of, an awful lot of anyway, but I knew I would start shouting. And I didn't want to do that. But being silent or shouting are two sides of the same coin, if you like. Mm. They do the same thing. They, um, they make people tread on eggshells around you. And it, it, looking back on it, hindsight's a wonderful thing, looking back on it, the atmosphere in the house was actually largely due to me. <laughs> I always thought it was Juliana drinking, but actually quite a bit of it was my behaviour. And going to the living rooms, which you'll we'll deal with later, that's what it made me do, is look at my own behaviour in that situation, um, which is quite a tough thing to do because I always blamed everyone else. Mm. Um, and it, the other thing you know, that, you start, that the living rooms help me with is to stop blaming people, myself and others, and to actually look at the reasons why.
2: To be honest with you, you can't change anybody else's behaviour, can you? You can only change your reaction to it.
5: No, but at the time, you know, at the time that, that being a family member, that's that becomes one of your goals: is to yeah. stop somebody else, um, you know, drinking or taking drugs or whatever it is. That's your that, that, that's your goal. That's your reason for being there, really. Um, I mean, and also, and also, I didn't really, I didn't really associate Julie with as an alcoholic. She you know, she was a binge drinker, so she didn't drink every day. Mm. She wasn't on a park bench. She had a, reason, uh, you know, a responsible job. She earned, she earned the most money, if you like. And We, we had quite a good standard of living. Yeah. And she, she was the sort of bedrock of that. And she was in work every day. And she looked, up, you know, she looked after four kids and all that sort of stuff. So I did not picture her, or I did not see Julie, as an alcoholic. And in fact, two years before she went into recovery, she asked me, do you think I'm an alcoholic? And I said, no. She had started questioning herself. And I said, no, you're not. Because of the reasons I've just given, yeah, and that gave her the excuse then to go for another two two years. Of um, yeah. Now again, I'm not blaming myself. It's just the way it's just the way it, just the way it, it was. But then, you know, when you look back on it, the our. Our personal lives, our relationship, it had quite a, went to start off with, it was, like I say, it was exciting, you know, I, I was doing things that I'd never done, going to the theatre or cinema or uh, going up for nice meals, which I'd never done before, really, mm. and it was that, I found that, you know, she opened my, you know, opened my eyes to a bigger world, if you like. The trouble was, is that the longer, you know, the, I think I was with her for about 17 years before she went into recovery, the longer the, our relationship went on with, with her drinking, the smaller our world got, really. Yeah. Um, her horizons were, were narrower. Uh, she stopped reading books. She stopped. You know, it became her focus. Became going out on a Saturday night, really, working and then going out on a Friday or Saturday, whatever. And mine became trying to deal with that, really, which in the end you can't really deal with it because it's not your problem. No. So.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll talk lots more about this, in, in a second. But your next song is 40 Days and Forty Nights." By Muddy Waters, why this one?
5: The bedrock of my, of my sort of musical taste is blues. You know, we, we heard ACDC earlier on, and this is where it all stems from, really. Buddy Waters, Howling Wolf, Elmore James, that's where it all stems from, rock and yeah. roll stems from. And they were the masters of it, really, and this is it. Muddy Waters is one of the best.
4: 40 days and 40 nights Since my baby left this town Day long, but the rain keep coming down, she's my life, I need her soul, why she left I just don't know, 40 days and 40 nights, since I sat right down and cried, all the time But the river Is running dry Lord, help me It just ain't right I love that girl With all of my mind Forty days and forty nights Since my baby Broke my heart For a while, like a blind man in the
3: dark.
4: Love can make a poor man rich. Don't break hard heart, I don't open it. That she would come back home to me. Life and love and love is right. I hope she come back home tonight.
2: You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, Let's Recover Together, and that was 40 Days and 40 Nights by Muddy Waters. Owen, what were some of the consequences for you? With regards to Julie's drinking, how did it affect you
5: again another diff- <laughs> another difficult question one was the financial one Julie got into a lot of debt and we had to we cleared that and um, so there was a, like i say there was a lot so there were finan- there was finan- financial implications there was because with any with any addict within a family there is um, the addict will lie and manipulate and you know tell falsehoods or whatever, so there was a you know for a, you know, there was a period of time where i didn 't really know whether I was coming or going really i didn 't know fact from fiction, uh, and in the end, I just accepted everything she said to a large degree, which is the only way you could go really because you can't you can't keep trying to trip someone up being to, well you know last week you said this, this week you're saying this they mm-hmm. don't these things don't match up um, so there, there was that there was obviously the lack of sleep there was the um, as I mentioned before, there was the anxiety. Trying to control somebody else or their behaviour is an impossible task, which you, mm. as, as, a, as a family member is something you do endlessly and you don't give up. And so it is exhausting, really. I think that's the main thing, e- exhaustion.
2: Yeah, how did you deal with those feelings of anxiety? What, what did you do? I've
5: mentioned it before. It was, there was, I, dealt with it in, I dealt with it in three ways, really. I've mentioned two of them already. I did an awful lot of shouting. Mm. Shouting at the kids, shouting at the cat, shouting at the you know, TV or whatever. I would, you know, and I could. When you shout, you can, you can, even though it, you can feel a sort of uh, release mm. because of the, through the act of shouting. Yeah. Now this was, you know, it's put an awful lot of stress on, certainly on kids. The other one, I like I've mentioned, I would go very quiet and answer yes, no. You know, are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Mm. That would be it. So that there was that. The other one I used to do as well to make myself feel better was I was extremely sarcastic. So, uh, if Julie asked me something, I could do it with a drop of a hat. But, you know, I could do it over and over. Over, I would be sarcastic over and over and over again. And I'm embarrassed by it because when I look back, it's a form of bullying, really, because it 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 reduces the ability of the op- the other person to to speak, really, because you're you're mocking their their opinions, mm. and so. Our communication, communication between myself and Julie for a period of time was minimized because of my sarcasm. I would p- pass it off as I'm only joking. Right. But the joke, it wasn't funny when I look back on it, particularly not for the, you know, let's say in this case, Julie. And so that was, but that was the way I dealt with it. It made, my, it made me feel bigger, if mm-hmm. you like, being sarcastic, putting someone else down or their belief or their, what they've done. Putting them down made me feel bigger. It's a bit like a bully. like they say about bullies in school, isn't it? They, they're mm-hmm. only a bully, and it makes them feel bigger than they actually are. Well, that's the same with what I was doing with sarcasm. Um, would you
2: say it affected your mental health at all?
5: It probably did, but I can't sort of pinpoint it. I, you know, I mean, I you know, I, I, I would become anxious. Not all that. Um, yeah, I would be. Anxiety would probably be one of the things you could point to. Depression? No, I don't think. I, I don't think I ever sort of it was anxiety was the main one uh, yeah. that sense of something's going to go wrong which so, is
2: quite exhausting really living with anxiety isn't it
5: yeah i mean it's it's not it's not always you know at peak form of anxiety but it's it's always it's on and off it's like a sort of you know it's a bit of a um, cliche but it's a bit of a roller coaster with it mm. you know and you, you could almost foretell when it was going to happen because julie was going to go out so you know two days before and or three days beforehand you could feel it starting to build by the time that you know saturday you know saturday came it was i would be very very anxious yeah Um, but not be not able to express it which is the main problem
2: well moving on to your next song for a second it is if it hadn't been for love the steel
5: drivers drivers
2: yeah i couldn't read my own writing then steel drivers why this song then
5: it's not a very happy song but it's they they are again a bluegrass band and um, I just like the song to be honest it's it's not very it's not a pleasant song but um I just like it never would have the
7: hand if it hadn't been love never would have run through the blinding rain without one dollar to my name if it hadn't been if it hadn't been for love never would have seen the trouble that I'm in if it hadn't been Would have been gone like a wayward wind If it hadn't been for love Nobody knows it better than me I wouldn't be wishing I was free If it hadn't been, if it hadn't been now.
2: You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And that was, if it hadn't been for love, the steel drivers. So, Owen, we were talking about how things that were affecting you with regards to Julie's drinking. How did the family dynamics change and the relationships change?
5: My second eldest stepson had uh, problems with cannabis and mm-hmm. gambling, and he, he had to leave home, really. And the dynamics changed in that respect because for a long time, we had blamed my second eldest son. We had blamed all our problems that we had on him right? Um, you know, because, of, you know, because of his behaviour and stuff. I mean, he had a very difficult childhood, but that's, that's another story. So, Julie's drinking was because of um, my son's behaviour. My shouting was because of uh, my son's behaviour. Mm-hmm. If the kids didn't do very well in school over an exam, it was, his, it was my, son's, you know, my, my son's fault because he would put so much stress on it. And then what we found really was that when he left home, I was still shouting. Julie was still drinking and the kids sometimes didn't do very well in, a, in an exam or in a test in school. And I suppose we had to sort of really take it on board that actually he wasn't just, it wasn't just him that was the problem. Yeah. Um, we, we had our own problems, if you like. Um, and that's where um, Julie took the brave step of looking at herself um, and actually coming to the conclusion that she, she had a problem with drink. Uh, and was an alcoholic, and then she went to AA. I mean, you'll be, you may well be talking to her at some point. So I'll let her t- tell her story. But it was an incredibly, for her, it was an incredibly brave thing to do. I, I'm not quite sure how I felt about it. I thought, probably felt thought a bit of relief in a way, but also, yeah, how long will this last, really? Mm. But she did, and she's, you know, she's been sober for now seven, eight years, whatever it is.
2: That's fantastic. Mm. So Owen, when um, Julie entered recovery, then. What did you do? Did, like? How long was it before you realised that you needed to look at yourself, maybe?
5: Julie went into recovery, and she was, She started off at AA, and then she found the living rooms, um, because it was an all all addictions recovery centre, and she, Julie had more than one addiction. Um, and she started going to uh, groups in the living rooms. Um, after, I don't know, two or three months of going in, she came back home, and she said, oh, they have a family, you know, a family and friends group in the living rooms. Uh, would you like to go? It wasn't a sort of, would you like to go? It was your, go- <laughs> your right. going. And because, I'm a, because I, had, I have, and an, I'll say that again, an element of people pleasing in me, I just mm. went, yeah, okay, I'll go. I didn't particularly want to, I'll be honest. Um, so I went sort of um, begrudgingly, really. Mm. And the first meeting, you know, I don't know, there were about eight or nine people in it. Winford took it. Uh, he facilitated the thing came in said a few bits and that was fine but then he um he did he made everyone because i was a new he uh, i think we do this with every new person that comes here everyone else has to sort of introduce themselves Mm -hmm. um so the first person said they you know uh introduced themselves and said that uh they lost a lot of sleep i thought well yeah i would expect that (laughs) and that's exactly what i did next one would have said uh, said something along the lines of well my emotional welfare is dependent on the other person so if the other person is okay I'm alright if the other person's not okay I'm not okay so mm-hmm. I, you, I my, you know he this person said that their feelings mirrored the the um, their addicted loved one if you like and I thought that's me mm. I thought I do that my whole my whole life is dependent on how well other people are Um, And that was quite a big shock, I suppose you call it. It was it was a bit of an eye opener. And then there were, uh, you know, there were people talked about other things, of financial implications and um, the anxiety levels and all that sort of stuff. And I was, I would say, probably about six out of the eight things that people brought up, I had, or I had, I had experienced, if you like. And that was, I left that meeting feeling a bit lighter. Because mm. I wasn't, I wasn't the only one. I thought I was the only one in this sit- situation. I had to keep it quiet because I didn't want anyone else to know. Because I was embarrassed, to be honest. I mean, I got myself into a situation, where I've got a family. I mean, a family with addictions and you know financial implications and all this sort of stuff. And I was embarrassed because I looked at other people, uh, friends, fam- you know, friends and other family members and you know, people from work, and they all seemed to be having you know normal, you know, whatever that is, normal li- a normal life, and I didn't. And I was trying to hide that, and I think that is part of the anxiety. You, you you know, my anxiety was that you were trying to continuously hide uh, the reality of your life, really. So the, the living rooms on that first meeting was an eye-opener. And like I said, I left, I left that meeting a little bit lighter, and I went back again. And the more I went back, the more I could start looking at myself. I was given permission to uh, feel whatever I felt. Um, I could say whatever I felt. In these meetings, and that w- that was a sort of new, sometimes scary thing, I suppose. That mm. you could you were encouraged to say how you felt. You were encouraged to describe how you, physically, how you, what your feelings were. So, you, if you've got butterflies, or you feel you know you tense anxiety, I get a hollow feeling in my stomach. Mm. Uh, you were encouraged to describe these things, and seeing that, you know, that, and but also made you look at your your, your whole life and see how your past experiences like from childhood or whatever impact on uh how you live your life as an adult
2: yeah and how you interact with others
5: yes yes and yeah. what what makes you angry as 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 a you know as a direct bit be- you know your childhood has a direct be- bearing on what makes you angry how you react in later life if you like
2: yeah well we'll talk a bit more about what recovery has been like for you um, after your next song, which is Waiting for the Bus by ZZ Top. Is this just a great rock and roll song or is that a it, meaning? It is, it?
5: it is a very good rock and roll song. Um, I've liked ZZ Top since I was about 16, 17. And it was a sort of gateway to um, the blues, really, for me. They're a sort of blues rock band and they you know, they talked about you know, Elmore James. You know, they do Dust My Broom on one of their albums. So it was a gateway to... Um, Blues artists like such as Muddy Waters. Uh, it's also more relevant today because was it two days ago I think it was that the bass player Dusty Hill died. Uh, I was a bit gutted over that really because I followed them for nigh on 30, 40 years, mm. whatever it is. I like. think so. A bit sad, but you know, death comes to us all, I suppose, at some point. Yeah. But this is a great, this is a great track, and it's got a great group. It's sort of slightly funky, I think, like. Isn't it? So. And also homage to what's recently that happened. And homage, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brown paper
2: You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, Let's Recover Together. And that was Waiting for the Bus by ZZ Top. So Owen, Julie entered recovery and encouraged you to go to the living room as well. So after looking at perhaps your own reaction and behaviour to certain things in the household, how did your behaviour change after spending some time with people at the living room?
5: The main one, I think, is I, I stopped blaming people myself included. I, became more, I, I think I became a bit more compassionate. Mm. I became a bit more understanding. Um, I've learned a lot more about addiction and where it comes from. Um, and it is not a choice. Mm. It, it, uh, my belief is that it stems from childhood trauma, really. And nobody is to blame for that. And I think the, you know, the urge to drink, if you like, if, it, if we talk about drink then, of course, it's going to anesthetize you, aren't you? Your feelings. Mm. It's going to dampen them down. It's going to, you know, get rid of them. You can, you can, um, I think, I think Julie t- turned it, I think it was Julie said that, you know, it made her sort of feel normal in a way. Mm. That she could, you know, face life a bit better with, with a drink, if you like. But my, No, it was my son actually, sorry, that he actually said, because he used cannabis and he, he told me that he, when he used cannabis, he felt normal. Right. Uh, he felt that he could, you know, he, He he could face life with it, but he felt normal. And I thought, well, how can you stop someone doing that? Mm. How can you stop someone feeling normal? It's not how I I want them to feel feel normal, but that's how how he has found a way to feel normal and found a way to get through life, if you like. There there were huge consequences for him, um, and he's battled them ever since. So I think my main thing is that I think I've become less judgmental, more compassionate, and I want to understand. And I'd like to, I I do enjoy getting to know people a bit better, you know, via the groups. You do you can really get to know people, and it, that is that's a journey always worth taking. I think.
2: And did things improve at home?
5: Yes, yes, they they are massively improved. One obviously because Julie had stopped drinking. Uh, you know that does relief, uh, does uh, relieve a lot of um, anxiety for me, anxiety and stuff. And she felt a lot better. You know, um, but yes, and you know, the, our communicate our uh, you know, my relationship with Julie became much better because I we could communicate. I stopped the sarcasm which I talked about earlier on. I st- I'd stop that. I actually wanted to get to know her really and to know why you know why did she drink and we, we we talked an awful lot about that. So I became we became, I would say that we be we'd been together. She was drinking for about the first seventeen years of our relationship. After she went to recovery, our relationship got much, much better. We are much better able to communicate. And communication in a, in a relationship is always a, um, it's an ongoing, mm. um, not chores, the wrong word. what's it I can't think of the right word. Um, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep yeah. practicing at it, if you like. Um, and that's what we do. And we are, we are much better able, we're in a much better position to actually express how we feel, even if it's uncomfortable for the other person. That's fine. So I suppose communication is a much better thing.
2: Your next song is Wagon Wheel by Old Crow mm. Medicine Show. I've not heard of that one. Tell me about this.
5: This, I saw this lot the first time in the Cambridge Folk Festival uh, and it did blow my mind because they were, most things I like, bar John Martin, was um, mm. is electric. It's always electric guitars, drums, and this lot were all acoustic, fiddle, you know, double bass, guitar, acoustic guitar. Uh, and it blew my mind. And this was the one song I remember from that set was um, "Wagon Wheel."
2: Okay.
1: Down south to the land of the pines I'm thumbing my way Into North Carolina Staring up the road And pray to God I see headlights I made it down the coast In 17 hours Picking me a birdcat dogwood flowers And I'm hoping for Raleigh plays a guitar, I pick a band companion now. Oh, North Country winners keep forgetting me. And I lost my mind in playing poker, so I had to and lay. But I ain't turn it back to live that old life. Walking to south out of Roanoke, I caught a trucker out of Philly, had a nice long toke. But he's headed west from the Cumberland Gap, Johnson City, Tennessee. And I gotta get a move on before the sun. And I hear my baby calling name, and I know that she's the only one. And if I die in Raleigh, at least I will die free. the wind and the rain me mama, like a southbound train hey, mama
2: me. you're listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was wagon wheel by old crow medicine show So, Owen, I wanted to talk to you about your journey through recovery, really, and in particular your your role as a recovery coach. What drew you to that role?
5: Via the living rooms, I I did become more interested in human behaviour, if you like. Um, why people do things, or you know the causes of it, the root causes of it and um I suppose that the next logical step when the recovery coaching course was was offered, it was a logical step really that you know I could go in and not to help, i suppose, but um you know go in alongside someone and just be someone there mm. for for someone who is you know trying to recover and help them on their you know walk alongside them if you like on their on i don't like the phrase but on their journey, yeah be a friend I suppose Um, a a reliable friend
2: yeah and hopefully have some more insight into like what makes people behave in a certain way maybe
5: yes I think I think and I as I've I've already said I do I do think that um, childhood is the key Mm. I think what happens to you in childhood uh, has a huge bearing and uh, I think all addicts somewhere along the line to one degree or another have suffered from childhood trauma Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is good I'm a bit unusual in the way that I don't think I don't think um, addiction is an illness I don't think it's a disease I don't think it's genetic I think it is based in childhood trauma and that's my starting point really
2: yeah so in your role as a recovery coach then what experiences have you had in that role and how has it benefited your life
5: I haven't really um the one to one sort of recovery coaching, I haven't done that yet. But what I've done is I facilitate a, the family group on a Sunday. Okay. Again, that is, that's a sort of slightly different dynamic to individual, I would imagine. That the group actually helps each other, and people are. It's surprising how much you give of yourself, really. Mm-hmm. When you start talking, sometimes when you start talking, you can't stop. And actually, quite a lot of stuff that you keep secret comes out. And I've, I've done that in the past in groups.
2: So when you talk about perhaps personal stuff, like you just said, stuff that you didn't know was going to come out, how, what does that do for you?
5: I mean, the first thing. I mean, all all the groups are uh, they are you know confidential. So what happens? What what is brought up in group stays in group. Which is uh, and I've also mentioned that there uh, there was there was no judgments. So whatever mm. I said, there was no judgment, and that was that was vital, really, um, because we. Ju- I mean, you know, coming to the evenings, you you come. Uh, and you judge your, you're judging yourself mm. all the time. They haven't done good enough. I'm haven't haven't been a good enough parent. haven't been a good enough partner. You haven't been a good enough husband, mm. wife, whatever it yeah. is. You're judging. You judge yourself. Well, in the living rooms, I found that all those judgments nobody had them of me because they'd all done the same sort of things. They don't. You know, you can't have judged someone else when you, your behaviour's been bad as well. if yeah. you like. So
2: basically, it created a safe space for you.
5: Yes. Yes. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. It was a safe space. And when. Um, if that something came up that I wasn't expecting to come up, which it did on a handful of occasions, and it's stuff which I wouldn't have told anyone else, uh, it did come up. It was a bit of a shock that it came, it came out, yeah. but also it was a bit of a relief that it's out. Yeah, It's not, it's not tucked away you know, in, in my gut, if you like. It it's sort of made me feel a little bit lighter that this stuff had come out and as free of it in a way.
2: Yeah, and there's that saying that our secrets keep us sick, isn't there?
5: I haven't heard that one before, but it, yeah, I think that's a good saying.
2: Yeah, the secrecy of it, you know. And
5: well, yes, uh, um, and there's, but it's also the fact that it is it, confidential, and nobody's going to say, you know, go go and you know go back to work and start talking about you know what they heard in in groups. It's a
2: unique position, really, isn't it, to to be in to be in, in a group setting where you feel safe to be yourself, perhaps for the first time in a long time.
5: I mean, I've I've, I've had issues before when I've, I've you know I've felt. Uh, on the even in, in groups of friends, whatever I felt on the outside or not wanted, I mean I, that may well have come from you know my father leaving when I, when I was mm. two years old or whatever. The, the repercussions of you know lack of self confidence and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, being in a in a group with other people who had gone through roughly the same, similar mm. experiences made a difference. It meant that I could express myself really, and it was the, be, the it was the beginning of it was the beginning really of of, of accepting myself as I am, warts and all. Wow, that's quite profound
2: your uh, next song is playing with my mind by magic slim and teardrops what inspires you with this song
5: it's back to the blues again isn't it <laughs> um and again it was some i mean i've got about 20 albums of his and it's it's roughly the same thing 20 times uh i just i just love him
2: perfect Into Recovery Now Radio, let's recover together. And that was Playing With My Mind by Magic Slim and Teardrop. So, Owen, oh, we've talked about so much today. We've talked about a little bit about your background, your relationship with Julie, obviously the addictions, but most of all, um, how those addictions and perhaps Julie's behaviour and your own behaviour affected your relationship and how it affected you, how you felt about yourself. And we talked about um, you. Becoming a recovery coach and facilitating groups.
5: What's life like for you now? I've gone part time in work. I've worked for the parks department, uh, local authority, for 30, over 30, 30, 32 years, I think it is. A month ago, I've gone. I've gone part time, which is the best thing. I, I wish I could have done it 30, 30 years ago, but you know, it's it's just given me more time. Simple things like cooking. Where if you are in work all day, you come home, you've got to cook. It's a chore. Mm. I find cooking now is on my on the days I have off it's more of a pleasure yeah uh, you can look for different recipes you can you know you've got time to go and find you know slightly difficult ingredients to get or whatever it's it's a it's, it's a pleasure having that time is a, is a it's a it makes things a pleasure um, when you're in work uh, cooking for example was just a chore that you had to do at the end of the day and if you hadn't got the food and you had to go to Tesco's mm. to get some food and it was your feet are aching because I'm on my feet all day you know all that sort of stuff so it's given me a sort of new lease of life I feel like having that just having that time and I don't you know I don't feel that I'm in work all the time um my relationship with Julie is probably as good as it's ever been at the moment um, our communication at the moment is um is good I feel anyway I mean, Julie yeah. may <laughs> think it's something different like that but, but uh, you know I I I, I I'm happy with my, at the moment, I'm happy with my relationship with Julie. We do talk about, you know, stuff and we do, not all the time, but we do, if we need to, we do we are able to communicate about how we're feeling or, you know, if something's not right with our relationship, uh, we are able to express that. I'm in a much better place, um, uh, you know, because you know, the kids have all grown up and, you know, gone separate, gone their own ways. So financially we're in a much better position, which that takes us, that takes, you know, a bit of stress off as well. Mm. So at the moment, I'm quite happy at the moment. I enjoy doing, you know, doing, um, doing stuff at the living rooms. It would, be, it would be nice to be able to do groups in person, but yeah. we're still doing those on Zoom. So at the moment, I'm enjoying life really. Yeah, it's good. Would, would
2: you attribute being content with yourself and, and finding happiness with finding recovery
5: Yes, I would. The ability to um, reconnect with yourself really, uh, understand yourself uh, and actually appreciate yourself that you are, you know, I am, you know, a human being with needs, desires, feelings, emotions, and they're all fine. It's, it's uh, yeah, I think, I don't think I'd be in this position without recover you know, without attending the living rooms or having I mean, recovery, if you like. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's open, it's open doors really. Yeah. To the way I see myself, I'm again, as I said before, I'm I'm less judgmental about myself, which makes me less judgmental with other people.
2: And relationships are obviously better because of that, because you're not judging others or yourself.
5: Yeah, my relationship with my with the son I've talked about. I mean, my relationship with with the, with the four my four I call them stepchildren, but they are adult, <laughs> adults now, like right? I mean, yeah. they're in the mid to late twenties. Um, I have a good relationship with all of them, which I'm i'm quite proud about really yeah um I, you know we, although there were some difficult times we, we did do something right because we, we we get on as a family we recently had a family holiday which and everyone got on it was really nice and with my this, my son who had you know has problems with cannabis and and gambling being less judgmental with him mm. means my relationship with him is much much better yeah and uh it's I have l- much less anxiety because i 'm not judgmental with him mm. you know I, I I think I understand him a lot better than I used to um, and that has improved our relationship really
2: well it 's been fantastic talking to you i mean um, and I say this to everybody, but it really is a privilege when somebody comes in and and talks about quite personal things in in their life and shares them with not just myself but the world because This um, radio show is is going out all over the world with a message of hope, really, that other people can can be less hopeless and know that they're not alone out there and there's hope for them too. There's help out there for them as well. And that's the whole point in us doing this. So thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. Um, I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. I want to thank The Living Room and Adveriad for helping us to have this uh, podcast radio station happening in the first place your final song is Supernought by Black Sabbath what a song to end with tell me about this
5: it's a bit of a rocker <laughs> <laughs> that's all you've got to know really
2: let's listen <laughs>